Tonight on MovieCat, we're firing up our unlicensed nuclear accelerators and watching Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was directed by Ivan Reitman. It was written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, who also star in the film along with Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver. I'm watching the region-free Blu-ray from 2009 from Columbia Pictures with the shiny, shiny slipcover. Ghostbusters is, of course, one of my most favorite films from my childhood. There's not a kid on earth that doesn't love this film, and we're all kids at heart. It goes without saying that this film gets a double-A grade. For general audiences that are new to the film, it's nearly a perfect watch. A+. Not sure who's out there that hasn't seen it, but as for its target audience of young people to young adults, it also gets an A+. I'll go more into why in a little bit. Ghostbusters is the perfect example of capturing lightning in a bottle. It's a movie that was created by the right people at the right time in the right place. While that magic has been attempted to be recreated, no one, not even the people that first made Ghostbusters, have been able to accomplish it. There are many reasons for the success of the film, and many reasons that the alchemy of the film has yet to be duplicated. It's an equation that may be too complicated to solve. Most people know that Dan Aykroyd is an avid enthusiast of the paranormal. Apparently, he had been thinking about creating a movie, probably a comedy, concerning the paranormal for many years, before properly setting out to produce the script. After his success on Saturday Night Live, and especially with the Blues Brothers, Aykroyd was in a position to take on Ghostbusters, along with Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis. Aykroyd was inspired by old comedies where there were many instances of the characters chasing or being chased by ghosts. His basic idea was that the Ghostbusters would be something like firemen or janitors that would take care of the ghosts as if they were pests. When the team came together to start writing the script, the ideas evolved significantly and, somewhere along the line, Reitman suggested a story about going into business. A business of catching ghosts. Besides making a profit, the main motivation for the film was to create a fun comedy and enliven the audience's experience. It's also pretty clear that Aykroyd wished to bolster the argument for the existence of the paranormal. Because there was more than just Aykroyd working on the script, it's unclear who wrote what and what the team's collective thinking was, but it is interesting that Aykroyd's agenda about the supernatural is actually subverted by the message of Ghostbusters. It's a film about destroying the paranormal by way of science. Oh yeah. And it's funny. The first act of Ghostbusters does follow Reitman's concept of the character starting up a business. But after that, the Ghostbusters settle into a plot that gradually leads up to their confrontation with the ancient god Gozer. The movie starts us off with a demonstration of the problem that the business will remedy. A librarian at the public library is harassed and terrified by a ghost in the basement. We are then taken to the office of three parapsychologists that work for Columbia University, where Peter Venkman, played by Bill Murray, is performing an experiment relating to ESP on two students, a boy and a girl. He's flirting with the girl. Interestingly, the experiment does actually work on the boy. His partner, Ray Stance, played by Aykroyd, interrupts them with exciting news about a ghost spotting at the library. Here we learn that Ray is a fervent paranormal investigator, where Vinkman is a slackadaisical non-believer. At the library, the two meet up with Egon Spengler, played by Harold Ramis. Egon is the hardcore scientist of the team. The trio interview the librarian and then investigate the basement. There they encounter an actual real ghost. The ghost attacks them and they hightail it out of there, scared to no end. After the encounter, Egon explains that it would be possible to really catch a ghost. Ray seems vindicated in his beliefs about ghosts, but comically the only thing Venkman seems interested in is how they can capitalize on this new discovery. The impetus the team needs to start chasing ghosts full time comes soon, when they are quickly unceremoniously fired from their jobs at the university. 
Taking things into their own hands, they form the Ghostbusters, a company of paranormal eradicators that will service New York City in getting rid of ghosts. Meanwhile, the film introduces Dana Barrett, played by Sigourney Weaver a professional cellist. After an encounter with a demon in her kitchen, Dana seeks out the help of the Ghostbusters. This being their first customer, they don't really know how to help her. Ray and Egon set out to do some research on the incident, and Venkman takes Dana back to her apartment to investigate, but ends up just ineffectively hitting on her. Later, as the trio eat a quiet dinner of Chinese takeout, Ray shares that the company is out of money. At that very moment, they receive a call for help from a hotel with a troublesome ghost. They suit up and head out in their tricked-out ambulance. At the hotel, they encounter a glowing green goblin ghost. Using the equipment that Egon has built, they eventually trap the ghost, but they also destroy a good portion of the hotel. With this first ghost-catching success, the company takes off. They get calls from all over the city and become minor celebrities. With all the new work, they hire another Ghostbuster, Winston Zeddemore, played by Ernie Hudson. The Winston character was introduced by the screenwriters really as a way of explaining what is going on to the audience. Because Winston is a fish-out-of-water character, everything needs to be explained to him, and with him, the audience. Soon after, Venkman meets up with Dana and explains that the demon in her kitchen is called Zool, and his master is an ancient god called Gozer. We later learn that Gozer is attracted to Dana's apartment building because of the architecture, Art Deco. Very nice. By the middle of the second act, the writers needed a new catalyst to set up the crisis for the final confrontation. Enter Walter Peck, a stooge for the EPA. Peck and Venkman get into a confrontation, which sets the fuse for Peck to later return to the Ghostbusters HQ with a court order to turn off their equipment. There's a small digression at this point in the story where Dana returns to her apartment and is possessed by Zool. Dana's neighbor is also possessed by another one of Gozer's demons, Vince Clortho. I think the idea here was to give even more motivation for the Ghostbusters to battle Gozer, thus saving Dana, but because there never really was much of a romance between Dana and Venkman, the incentive falls short. By the way, who brings a bottle of Thorazine on a first date? And why does Venkman have access to it? Walter Peck arrives at the Ghostbusters building and shuts the equipment off, which causes a massive explosion and all the ghosts that have been captured are freed. The ghosts run amuck in the city. Peck has the Ghostbusters arrested. Some comedy takes place with the team as they sit in jail. They also explain that Dana's apartment building was built by a Gozer worshiper and cultist from the turn of the century, Evo Shandor. Because all the ghosts are causing havoc in the city, the mayor releases the team to combat the craziness. During the climax, the Ghostbusters face off with Gozer at the top of Dana's apartment building. Gozer first appears as a Yugoslavian supermodel, and then transforms into a King Kong-sized Marshmallow Man. Um, yes, it's still a comedy even during the tense scenes. Finally, the team manages to destroy Gozer by crossing the streams from their proton packs, which creates enough energy to annihilate the god. With Gozer gone, Dana and her neighbor are restored, and New York City is saved. Ghostbusters is a terrifically fun film with near-perfect comedy on all levels. The film is so accessible that when you're watching it, you really fall into what's happening and engage with the characters. It may be one of the easiest films to suspend your disbelief with and allow the movie to envelop you. During a viewing of the film, there is no questioning what is happening. Perhaps this is due to the patently ludicrous world that is being presented, or it could be that it mixes in very real-feeling characters. They believe in what is happening, therefore you do. It isn't until later, after you've watched the film for the 10,000th time, that you think to yourself, wait a minute, what? What did I just watch? What are they saying? The problem when discussing paranormal anything is the problem of proof. That is to say, scientifically verifiable substantiation. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Carl Sagan. For anyone interested in the paranormal, the issue of proof is at the heart of every discussion. 
Dan Aykroyd is, of course, familiar with the problem, so much so that he baked the discourse into the very concept of Ghostbusters. The differing sides of the paranormal versus science debate is shown pretty blatantly in the foundation of the characters. Ray Stance, the heart of Ghostbusters, is the true believer. Egon Spengler is the scientist obsessed with empirical evidence, and Peter Venkman is the everyday person trying to make sense of what each side presents him. When Winston Zeddemore is introduced later, the question of religion is injected into the story. Obviously, these are merely the starting points for the characters. The script and the actors build the much more complex characters that inhabit the film. The film assumes that ghosts and the paranormal are real, and proceeds from that premise. The film, however exaggerated, is depicting a world that Aykroyd would like us to consider. What is so fascinating about the movie is the question that arises in every narrative. What happens next? Well, Ghostbusters bust the ghosts. And how do they do that? Through physics and engineering. That is to say, science. As the movie progresses, so do the stakes. The Ghostbusters are faced with increasingly difficult spirits to deal with until they finally must confront a literal god. It's interesting that Gozer is not a ghost, but rather a god, or maybe a goddess. Zool and Vince Clortho are also not ghosts, but are described as demigods. The movie escalates from the paranormal to the spiritual to the religious, and each obstacle is overcome and each baddie is defeated. This is really interesting because instead of shying away from the concept, Aykroyd and the other writers bravely follow through with the premise and follow it to its inevitable conclusion, which may be the exact opposite of what Aykroyd set out to express. But what is the film saying beyond this premise? It's not saying that ghosts can be caught and destroyed through scientific means, even though that's how the plot proceeds. Ghostbusters is an allegory, illustrating that in the real world, belief in the paranormal, superstition, and yes, even religion is being eroded and disintegrated by the progress of science. Science is the champion of Ghostbusters, not the paranormal. The paranormal is defeated. If you are at all familiar with Ghostbusters, then it is easy to understand why I'm giving this film an A+ for general audiences and an A-plus for its intended audience. This is a film that is a really good example of something that just doesn't happen these days, and that is originality. These days, almost every big-budget Hollywood film is a reboot, a remake, or a re-envisioning. The studios have figured out that their investment is a bit safer if the concept already exists in the public's collective consciousness. When that's the case, the film doesn't even really need to be good at all. People will still go see it. Unfortunately, audiences are suspicious of the unfamiliar. Ghostbusters in 1984 was a very original idea. This combined with its comedic good nature and hilariously fun characters makes for a highly enjoyable film. Ghostbusters originality creates fascination in the audience. The world is different and intriguing and you want to keep watching it. Usually comedies are not known for their artistic cinematography and while Ghostbusters does not veer too much in the way of experimentation, the movie looks fantastic. It varies from bright and cheery to dark and moody. Cinematographer Laszlo Kovacs made some very effective and bold choices in the film, especially during the last part of the third act, when Gozer is manifesting and the ghosts are rampaging through the city. I should also mention the special effects. This was the early 80s and so all the effects were done optically. Some people may argue that they look dated, but I disagree. The effects are on par with Poltergeist and E.T. Optical effects do have a distinct look to them, but now that we are more than 35 years out, they exist with a certain charm that I love. If Laszlo Kovacs and Ivan Reitman are the bottle, then the cast is the lightning. Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Harold Ramis do the heavy lifting in the film. Along with Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, and my favorite, Annie Potts, there is a chemistry that was created that seems to be a one-time thing. As far as the three main characters, there seems to be a triad of contrasting energy. Aykroyd's Ray is super enthusiastic, which contrasts with both Murray's skepticism and Ramis's empiricism. Murray's character Venkman has a laid-back smarminess that goes up against Ramis's Vulcan stoicism, as well as Aykroyd's unsullied chastity. 
And Ramus's character, Egon, plays the straight man for the other's antics by remaining calm in contrast to Rey, as well as grounded and moral in contrast to Venkman. This triad seems to be the root for the comedic chemistry of the three friends. The buildup and then release of tension from their conflicted relationship is the foundation of the humor. Another aspect of the film that everyone thinks of when they think Ghostbusters was the pop song tie-in theme for the movie, Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. The song was a number one single for Parker and at the time was played endlessly on the radio, believe me. It was everywhere, from malls to roller skating rinks. The song, of course, helps the film tremendously because of its earwormy catchiness. To this day, you can't divorce the film from the song. The score for the film by Elmer Bernstein is also great. It's memorable and creepy with lots of classic theremin-tinged cues and declamatory orchestrations. I would say that the score does take a back seat a lot of the time and pops in at just the right moments, so it's not too distracting or overused. All these elements, along with some kind of top-secret alchemical magic, make for possibly a perfect comedy. And while I think that Aykroyd's vision of enlightening people to the idea of the paranormal backfired on him in the writing process, Ghostbusters does not poo-poo the idea, but rather steers the audience to properly categorize the paranormal in the realm of fantasy. Hey movie cats, whenever I watch a movie there's always some nagging questions that linger with me. Small things that get stuck in my head. Here's just a few from Ghostbusters. Who is Slimer in the real world? And why is he so distorted as a ghost? If food passes right through Slimer, will his hunger ever be satisfied? Whatever happened to the college students from Venkman's experiment? What actually is that piece of equipment that Venkman uses in Dana's apartment? If Gozer can appear as anything and anyone, why did he pick a Yugoslavian supermodel? We know why he picked the Marshmallow Man. Zool and Vince Clortho do not seem like demigods, but rather demons. Why is that? Why does Venkman go on a date with a bottle of Thorazine? What is a giant slore? Ray Parker Jr. or Huey Lewis in the News? What about the Twinkie? Thanks for listening. I may never figure them all out. Hey, movie cats. I'm just a puppet, but there are real cats out there that need your help, really. Please take some time to locate the cat shelter that is nearest to you and make a donation. And if you're in need of some love, as we all are, you can adopt a cat from that shelter and improve your life, as well as the lives of our feline friends. Thanks so much for your help.